This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. On the show, I'm joined by Poppy McDonald, the president of USA Facts, a not-for-profit devoted to showcasing government data and facts. We'll talk about what USA Facts is doing and why combating misinformation is so vital. Also, I'll remember Bob Dole and sadly why men like him are truly a dying breed. And now, The Nexus. Poppy McDonald is the president of USA Facts, a not-for-profit organization and website that provides data and reports on the U.S. population, the government's finances, and government's impact on society. It was launched in 2017. McDonald served as president and chief operating officer of Politico USA, National Journal's publisher and president, as well as chief revenue officer for Politico Pro's executive director of business development as well, overseeing the launch of Politico's first paid subscription model and as a partner at Gallup, where she launched the World Poll and led the healthcare practice. McDonald began her career serving members of Congress representing her Pacific Northwest hometown on both the Senate and House sides of Capitol Hill. Poppy McDonald, welcome to the Nexus. Thank you, Art. I'm delighted to be joining you today. And so let's talk about USA Facts. What is this organization about and where did it come from? USA Facts is about making the facts, we believe that's government data, uh, accessible to Americans so that we can ground public policy and public debate back in facts, the data. And so what we do is we go to over 70 government data sources, bring it all available at usafacts.org, and help citizens access it by issues they care about, whether that's healthcare or immigration, um, just to give citizens a grounding of where do we actually stand? We think it's uh, fairly confusing right now if you turn on uh, one media channel or another um, or listen to an incumbent politician or somebody running against them, you're probably hearing very different stories about where we stand in America. And we think it's really easy to boil it down to the numbers to govern by data, similar to how our founder, uh, Steve Ballmer, who was the CEO of Microsoft, used data to help understand how was his business doing by the numbers. Um, and he had to publicly share that uh, with his shareholders uh, in a 10K report. And that's required by the government that uh, corporations have to share that data. And we think Americans deserve the same access to their government data. They are the 329 shareholders in this country, and they deserve transparent access to the facts. And that's really why USA Facts exists. Steve Ballmer, I mean, that is such a fascinating concept in itself, because I've been, we've all been reading about him and Microsoft for decades at this point. How in the world did he come up with this idea? Where, what was the genesis of that on his level? That's a great question, Art. So when Steve Ballmer was retiring from Microsoft, he wanted to do more from a philanthropic perspective. He was really challenged by his wife, Connie Ballmer, to say, hey, we can do more for our mission to lift kids out of poverty, to give every kid a shot at the American dream. 
And Steve said, but doesn't government already have a lot of programs to do that? And he just wanted to understand by the numbers, government collects how much in revenue? What are they spending on programs to lift kids out of poverty? And are they effective? And his team, uh, a few folks at Microsoft who worked in the finance department said, hey, give us two weeks kind of as a retirement gift. We'll pull that data together for you so that you can understand um, how best to uh, invest in programs where you're not duplicating government efforts um, and where you're, uh, you know, putting it in places that really fill gaps. And so they said, give us two weeks. Six months later, they were finally able to gather that data. And it was a real light bulb moment for Steve. If it's this hard for me as a former CEO uh, with a really smart team of analysts to get access to government data, how hard must it be for people in government, for people in media, for citizens? And it's no wonder, right, that um, you hear a lot of adjectives when you um, hear from politicians, or maybe that when you turn on the media, there are there are different stories or that a citizen might share misinformation unknowingly. It is really hard to get access to that data. And so Steve Spommer said, you know what, I want to start by um, investing my own wealth into making a platform available to the public for, for free. Uh, we're not for profit, we're nonpartisan, so we don't take any uh, policy issues, but we do make that government data accessible and available for decision-making. Hmm. And how then did you come to be here? I mean, are you a data scientist or what's your background? I'm, yes, I'm not a data scientist. Um, give me a, a great introduction. I think what a uh, common thread in my career would be from when I worked on Capitol Hill to uh, working in Gallup with polling data to working in media is about a belief that uh, information should be accessible and transparently reported and shared. And uh, when I got that call saying, hey, would you uh, be interested in thinking about an opportunity to lead this organization, USA Facts, I felt like it really perfectly brought together my work in government, um, you know, sharing with constituents and with the media what was going on in Washington and connecting it to why it mattered to them, to my work in Gallup. Uh, collecting data from you know how citizens were thinking and feeling to help uh, inform decision making, and then from my work in media, transparently reporting information about what was happening in Washington. And I really felt like USA Facts was such a huge differentiator. There is no shortage of information in this country. There is definitely a lack of access to data and to I think a trusted nonpartisan source where people feel like they can go to get access to, hey, what are the facts, no matter how I feel about this issue, um, no matter what my political party or my background, where can I go for just a solid understanding of the data? And I felt like USA Facts was a missing piece um, of the conversation that I felt like could empower people in media, that could empower government leaders uh, to govern by data, and that was missing for citizens, right? So um, I really wanted to come and be a part of helping ensure that pe people knew USA Facts exists as a resource. So I'm not a data scientist, um, but I do know something about uh, growing audiences and making information accessible and available. And so my goal is just to really think about how do we translate all of this data and availability of data into uh, products and information um, and really make it accessible to Americans. Well, I feel like you're coming at a really good time here because in, in American history, certainly in, in recent American history, because 
misinformation is such a major problem in 2021 and has been for the last few years, and it seems to show no sign of abating. Why is it vital to have actual data? I mean, why should people care about actual numbers? That's a really important question to ask. And I would say it's that I think there's an opportunity to to rebuild trust. And while I don't think there's ever going to be a time where there is 100% agreement on what is the right path forward, I think it's really important that there can be 100% agreement that we're starting from a place of the facts. Um, So when we're looking at a particular policy issue, I think it's really important that we can ground it in, hey, no matter what side of the the aisle you fall on or no matter what uh, political party that you're from, let's agree this is where we stand by the numbers. And then let's agree on where do we want these numbers to move, or maybe even not, right? Like, um, but let's all, we can all agree that this, these are the facts. This is where we're starting. And we believe serious reasons and informed debate can start there, that we can really rebuild trust if um, everyone is starting from the same set of facts. And then we can follow the numbers and judge by the data. Was this policy effective? Should this be incumbent be reelected? Um, is our country headed in the right way or in the right direction? And we let people decide that for themselves. But we do think it's really important that it starts from the same set of facts. And if you imagine, you know, turning on Fox and MSNBC and, and they have completely different uh, views, right? But they're starting from the same set of numbers. If you're hearing from the incumbent and the challenger that, yeah, we can agree, these are the facts, but they have two different ideas about how to move the country forward. Um, we think we can start really, really rebuilding trust and then, you know, starting to have that, that thoughtful debate about what's the right policy and then track by the numbers. Was it effective? I mean, it's pretty similar, right? To how corporations um, and the leadership of corporations are looking at their businesses. They know they're starting from a place of facts. Those have to be publicly reported. And a different CEO or a different leader may have an idea about how to move those numbers in the right direction. And either it works or it doesn't, right? But that's based on the data. And we think government um, deserves to have that same sort of data-driven decision-making. And we think the 329 million American shareholders deserve that. Do you find that a lot of people or even some people, though, are kind of scoffing at your mission and that, you know, if they have their own facts, their own, and I put facts in quotes and data in quotation marks here, you know, I, I just feel like there is such an industry of putting out false information. I mean, we've been seeing this with social media platforms being called before Congress and and, and I, I just, there is such a movement to just make up stuff. How does that, has that been impacting your mission? That is a good question. I would say there's two parts of that. One, do we have people who follow USA Facts on social media, who come to our site, who question us constantly? Are you sure these are the numbers? I'm hearing something different. I'm seeing something. Here's a link to something I'm seeing. Um, and yes, every day, and we love that, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's, we, we want people engaged and questioning the data and the numbers and like sharing their sources. Um, and I think in many cases, um, they're, they're, um, you know, sources that, um, aren't grounded in just 
nonpartisan sharing of data. And so what we are, what we do in response is just say, hey, these are the facts. Here's our, our source and link them directly to that government source and just try to reinforce like, um, this is why you can trust the data. And we're really glad you asked. Like, we're really glad like you're having this critical thinking and like engaging us and making sure we're getting our facts right for sure. So we welcome that. And then I think the second thing is, is like, what about this spread of misinformation? And I do think it goes back to this um, desire of Americans who care very much about their country, where they read something that is concerning to them. And their instinct is, I want to share this. And then we would all say, okay, yeah, but people really should go fact check that before they hit share. And I think it goes back to the, the empathy that I do feel and that, you know, Steve Bomber personally experienced with how much time and how hard it is to fact check something. And that's really why USA Facts exists, is it shouldn't be hard. It should be 20 seconds. It should be come to a site that I know I can trust. Go to usafacts.org, put that term in the, the search bar and really quickly see does just do the facts jive with what I'm reading here? Is this something that I should be sharing? Um, and so really just making that transparent, factual information available is our mission. We want to make it really easy for Americans. And does USA Facts work with clients? I just wanted to understand more about the business model. Does it, do you work with certain organizations to promote reasonable data or to provide them data? Or do you basically exist as as sort of an entity unto yourself where you're not actually aligned with or consulting for anyone specifically? Yes. So USA Facts, we have no business model. We are not for profit. We are funded by Steve Ballmer. And our goal is to make government data accessible. And so that means sometimes uh, partnering with organizations who want to do that, um, whether that's uh, the media or partnering with um, membership organizations. Um, so, you know, a few examples, we partnered with U.S. News and World Reports on the election in 2020, mm. where they wanted to do, you know, they wanted data to inform. So we were just uh, a resource to U.S. News to call and say, OK, there's the candidates are debating this topic. Where do we go for that data? Um, and just really helping connect their reporters with the numbers. Um, but but that is not a, we don't charge anything for what we do. It's just a, a public resource. Um, and that also uh, looks like um, we partnered with uh, Earth Day on the, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day to say, what is the state of the earth by the numbers? Um, how can we look at government data to understand what's happening with our climate? Um, and so we did a, an Earth Day report. Um, it also looks like, you know, Steve has talked about, hey, in an ideal world, I would love to hand this over as a resource to the public. I, it is a resource to the public, but handing it back over to the government and say, hey, this I built this resource for this country. Please maintain it and keep this information accessible. Um, you know, does government want to be a in the business of a, a customer service platform that's providing open and transparent data? I hope so. I hope, you know, eventually that's something that the government would want to do on behalf of their own citizens. Um, but for right now, USA Facts is really honored to be able to do it. And uh, we're grateful that uh, Steve Ballmer funds us. Wonderful. That is, that is fascinating. And so 
refreshing in this day and age where everyone has sort of has the, the disclaimer, you know, that this is a company that you find out later on is aligned with a government or a an organization or a, a not a profitable source kind of thing. So mm-hmm. kudos to you in 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 that regard. It's very old school but refreshing to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um so <laughs> let's talk about the the big data idea of the day I would say or the last 18 months or so and that's of course COVID-19. I mean if there is one topic that I feel like is a boiling cauldron of information in general, but certainly valid information and misinformation. And I will admit myself, there are oftentimes, I don't know what to believe. I really, I mean, I, I, you know, on an editorial note, I am pro vaccines. I am pro boosters. I am pro getting tested, all of that sort of thing. But I see on a almost daily basis facts. And I put that in quotation marks again, data in quotation marks spewed out there that I don't know what to what to believe sometimes. I think I know what to believe often, but then there are days where it's just uh, there seems to be so much noise out there. You never know. Um, as your team assembled a resource for COVID-19, what was the most interesting thing you found? Well, the most interesting thing we found was that there wasn't a there wasn't data that existed and there wasn't a way for the federal government to access local data. And in some ways it wasn't surprising to USA Facts because we know how challenging it is to get access to government data. But when faced with a pandemic where people were really scared about their health and safety, we started seeing tweets um, and we started uh, hearing reports of we can't get accurate data out of counties about how many deaths, how many cases are being reported. And what we realized was that broken kind of local data to state to federal pipeline meant that when fighting a pandemic, the federal government didn't have a way to access or report that data for the country. Mm. And so USA Facts stepped in at the time, and we were a team of about 13 people at that time. And we said, oh, well, it's in a few counties in Washington. It's a few counties in New York. We can do that every day. (laughs) We can go collect that data. In some cases, we were having to go to a a sheriff's Facebook page to get that data. Um, In some cases, it was publicly uh, available um, through a a feed, a more machine-readable format. But it it wasn't easy. Then imagine, right, that quickly spread to all 3,000 counties in the country. And we became the official source for COVID data to the White House and to the Centers for Disease Control, along with organizations like Feeding America, who are trying to understand food scarcity, and Walmart, who is trying to understand you know, how to respond um, with their, their pharmacy to support the effort. Um, so we became the official source for that data that hadn't been in our original uh, mission statement. Our plan was to make data already collected by the government accessible and available. Um, and in this case, we were actually becoming the provider of that data. Um, so I just think it was, um, I hope, uh, I, I mean, I was so happy that USA Facts was able to step in, but you know, I, I'm really hopeful that this shines a light on our big concern, which is how hard it is 
to access accurate, reliable, real-time data from the government, and that there really needs to be standardization about what data is being collected, how it's reported, and when it's reported, so that when our country faces another challenge, we've got that data available and accessible for accurate decision-making. That is incredible what you just said. I mean, let's drill down on that a bit. So you've only been in operation since 2017, and I'm assuming some of these things you talked about started happening in 2020 in the advent of the pandemic. I mean, that, that is remarkable in itself, but can you... Talk more about that sheriff's page you were talking What was the circumstances regarding that? Well, I think there is not a lack of des- desire by local government entities to report out their information, but they don't necessarily have guidance or a vehicle to do that, right? So I think in the case of this sheriff, he said, like, people need to know um, and I want to transparently share with my constituency what's happening with COVID in our in our county, but potentially didn't have um, a a vehicle or a site or a data platform to share that data. So said, well, we'll just use my Facebook page, right? And that's where we ended up finding it. So a lot of what our team's work was was tracking down at counties, like where can we get this information from you, and then pulling it into a format such that we could feed the data through an API, um, a publicly available data stream for the country on a daily basis to organizations like the Centers for Disease Control or the Department of Defense um, or major corporations, right, who really wanted to understand how is this spreading, what is the risk to the American public, to my employees, um, and how do I protect people? And what services do I need to provide? And so um, I think it's, you know, the circumstances are, I think people are surprised. There are 90,000 local government entities in the United States of America, and there is no standardization for what data they should be collecting, when they should report it, or how they should be reporting it, i.e. a machine-readable format where anyone can get access to it. And so with lack of standards, with lack of guidance, when a pandemic hits is when people are scrambling to say, how do I provide this information? Um, and in this case, I think the sheriff, it was um, a bit of ingenuity, right? It doesn't sound like the best format, Facebook, to provide data, but it was a platform that existed to this individual and, and they wanted to make it publicly available. Hmm. Well, that that's it's it's great that you were there to heed the call, so to speak, but what what do you do in situations? And what I hear a lot is, um, I, I'll just put it out there. The, the thing that I hear the most about in the last year is are, uh, that there are not as many people dying of COVID that the government says that, that numbers are inflated. Um, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying what I hear, uh, that their cases are inflated and such. Uh, in, in those kinds of situations, how do you go about finding the, the truth in that, that regard? Do you, is there one source that's unimpeachable in your opinion, or do you cobble together different sources? It's just I'm, I'm kind of fascinated when people seem to be so uh, 
adamant that COVID numbers are cases and deaths are wrong? Well, I do think it starts with data that we know comes from public opinion polling out of an organization we both worked for, our Gallup, right, mm-hmm. that shows trust in institutions in America is at a historic low. So the feeling of distrust is for uh, academia now, right? It's for um, banks. It's for kind of every major institution, including government, right? So um, we are not, it's, we're not naive to the fact that there is a lack of trust in America. We do think the best source is to go to government reported data. So we don't use forecasts. We don't use predictive data. We think that's when judgment starts to come into play and uh, where the numbers can be biased. Um, and so we do only reported data. We do go to the, the government as a source for that, that data. Um, so we are going you know, directly to counties to get their actual reported deaths. And then we try to put the numbers in context, right? So um, are more people uh, dying than, than they had? You know, if you look at uh, December 5th of this year, the seven-day average, there were 1,043 deaths from COVID. And if you compare that to December of last year, which is really easy to do on our site at usafacts.org, there were 1,949 deaths. So about 900 more deaths on a a seven-day average than this period. So we put the data in context that you can say, hey, I'm hearing this. Is that the facts based on this time last year or based on um, you know, looking at the numbers over time um, and make their own decisions about is it accurate or not. And, you know, we're counting deaths the same way we have. So, um, you know, are people with other complications uh, more likely to be to die of COVID or people who aren't vaccinated? Um, you can, you know, look at the numbers um, and um, understand for yourself. You can also look at not only COVID deaths and, and cases, but you can also look at vaccination rates and, and how that's changed over time. Um, and so we think really just providing the data uh, and allowing Americans to make make their own calls, which really ground that in facts is important. So that's what we do at usafacts.org. Um, and we provide the context not only through data, but we also um, write articles um, and share the the forecast over time and just provide a little bit of explanation about how the data is collected so that uh, people can understand what they're looking at. That's a marvelous way to look at it. Uh, My next idea though, is more of one of approach or how to, how to Mm -hmm. respond to folks. I have, for example, I have a friend on social media who said recently that 40,000 people have died from the vaccine. I wasn't sure how to respond to that. In my gut, I felt like that wasn't true, but honestly, I didn't know how to answer him. How do I counter with the facts? Do I have to, on my end, do my own research, so to speak? Well, what what do you, how do you respond to people in those kinds of contexts where you truly don't know the answers? That's a really important question to ask. And I know that I see the same sort of uh, questionable information shared by people in, in my social network as well. So it's not not unique to you, Art. I would say if you don't want to do the research yourself, I think a good place to start is to say, that's interesting. I have not read or heard that from any 
of the, any of the sources that I have access to, could you please share your source? Could you please link to where this data is coming from? Mm. Um, to ask them to validate the information that they're sharing. Um, if So I'd say that's probably like the easiest quick reply. Um, mm. I think then the second step would be to do a little research yourself. And I just, you know, as someone who works for USA Facts, I get real tempted when I see the information, I can consider it my, you know, personal quest to wait a minute here. Um, and I usually just take the, the phrase that was shared, you know, 40,000 people died from the vaccine and put it into Google. And I try to look for, has this been covered in the media? Are there multiple sources on, on both, both sides of the, the spectrum, right, um, that have confirmed this? Are you actually finding information that's counter to that narrative? Um, sometimes you might see like a Snopes.com, which which says this is not the facts, right? So you could share that link, or you might find something, you know, just as simple as, hey, I'm searching for that and I'm not finding any confirmation. Can you share the source? And or actually, I just looked at deaths from the vaccines, and this is the number I found, and here is a link to several sources that confirm that. I think you got some bad information. So I think it comes down to like how much time do you have um, and how passionate do you feel about you know helping to inform. But I think it's um, really important not to to shame people for sharing, but just to say, hey, I'm finding something very different. Here is the information I'm finding. Or can you share your source um, to just start a, a conversation with that individual? Yeah, and I think that's a great template because I think in especially on social media, I don't need to tell you this, but it's, it's, everything is so contentious and everyone is just so, you know, in a zero sum game. And I think a, a way to, you know, restore some dignity and, and um, esprit de corps, so to speak in social media relations, if that's possible is to do exactly what you just said and not be, not be the answer. No, you're absolutely wrong. Goodbye. Or I'm going to block you, or I'm going to, you know, never talk to you again, which I think has become sadly so much of the discourse now, not just on social media, but just in general, you know, the people believe in what they believe and they're not going to hear anything otherwise. So those methods you're talking about is a way to, you know, bring a, a dialogue which it sounds like you're very much about at USA Facts. Absolutely. And I don't want to make any promises, but I will say when you just approach somebody respectfully and in a conversation, I had a breakthrough with an uncle who was sharing this information. And when I started sharing the facts back, now he sends me his, you know, the, the misinformation he's passionate about and says, I want to share this but I'm going to stop here. Is this accurate? How would I know if it's accurate? Um, and he's asking the questions, which just makes me so happy and thrilled um, that, you know, he is wants to ensure that he's, he's sharing information that's accurate. And so I'm really hopeful. I mean, I, it's one person at a time, I guess, but I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, more people will start doing that, especially when it becomes easy to access the facts. Well, what do you think is the path forward? I mean, how do we get to a place that is fact-based? I mean, is is what's the future hold when it comes to facts? What's your outlook in that regard? Well, I'm really hopeful about the future. I do think we've seen firsthand at, at USA Facts where we've seen the number of Americans coming to access the facts on our platform 
grow significantly. So in, in 2019, we saw our audience triple. Um, in, in 2020, um, we saw it grow by uh, six times what it was the previous year. And in 2021, uh, we've already, you know, we crossed in July um, the total audience that we had had in 2020. So we continue to see the audience grow. I think for Americans, they do want the facts. They may not know what is a resource that exists. So that's been a lot of our effort at USA Facts is to say, hey, there's usafacts.org. We exist. Please come use this as a free nonpartisan resource. We're also working with people in the media, as I mentioned. So to say, hey, the facts are accessible to you. Please use our data. Use it for free. Call us if you need help. Um, ensure that your audience knows you fact check this. The story is grounded in data and link to the source. Um, and we work with uh, people in, on Capitol Hill and with uh, lawmakers to say, hey, did you know, here are the facts of where our country stands and will you start using this data? We did a state of the union in numbers um, because as you know, Art, the president gives a state of the union address to Congress every year. And when we look back at uh, president's state of the union speeches, no matter what, political party they represented. It was always the state of the union is strong, stronger, never been stronger. <laughs> and we think it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? Um, and so we wanted to look at for every major policy issue, where do we stand by the numbers? And how does that look over time? And it's a, it's a complex picture, right? We are stronger in some areas, we're struggling in others. And so it's to paint that picture by the numbers. And we uh, partnered with uh, Republican Senator Romney and Democratic Senator Schumer and their policy teams on the project because we wanted to ensure that the data that we provided was just here are the facts um, and did not have um, any sort of uh, bias and would be accepted by both political parties. And um, we do an annual report on government data and that annual report was sent as a dear colleague to members of Congress um, saying here here, colleagues, here's our government by the numbers. And it's really important that you read this annual report because it's an annual report on the United States of America. And we need to ground our decision making in data. And so we've been uh, grateful to be a resource to policymakers and to media and to citizens. And we just hope uh, more people will realize, hey, there is an easy way to get access to this data and um, just encourage people uh, to come and take advantage of this uh, resource that exists at usafacts.org. Remarkable. That's great. Um, is there any, are there any just off the top of your head, really cool data points you've come across recently that our listeners should know about? Well, it depends on how you define really cool. I think the <laughs> one that probably shakes people up the most is when you look at data coming out of the Department of Education okay. about how proficient our kids are at the eighth grade level in math and reading, about two thirds of our kids in schools are not proficient in math and reading at the oh. eighth grade level. And so we're not doing a service to those students who are in our public schools um, if we're not helping them be successful. And that number has improved over time. So you could say, good for us. We were in like the 20, 20% and now we're up to the 30%, right? <laughs> um, but 
it's we're failing the majority of our kids in terms of helping them to be proficient at the eighth grade level. And when you look by race, it's a very different story. Um, you've got um, Asian students, Asian Americans who are, who are outperforming those numbers. Um, you have Black and Hispanic kids who are, who are really underperforming in that area. Um, and so we're also not, uh, that's not a, a fair distribution. Not Our kids are not performing equally. So I know um, as I'm, I'm sharing data and just as a mom who has kids in, in our public schools, uh, that's concerning. You know, what do we need to do to, to help support our students, our educators, um, our school systems to do better by our kids, to uh, get them ready for uh, the future of being um, our leaders um, for our country? Mm. Well, you're right about that. Really cool is sort of a, is, is a, is a debatable phrase, but that in that sense, in, in terms of uniqueness, that is fascinating. Uh, yeah. There's no question about it. And, and and you think about it, that's what you just described has been the crux of so many political campaigns this year. I, I live in Virginia. That's become a, a touchstone. Um, and I'm glad to hear that's what the facts are. And that's, you know, that that informs the debate, which is which is excellent. Um, so Poppy McDonald is the president of USA Facts, which can be found at usafacts.org. And you can find her on Twitter at Poppy MacD. I like that. Um, Poppy McDonald, thank you for joining me in the Nexus. Thank you, Art. It was my pleasure. And we will be right back. What has happened to men? As men from older generations sadly pass away, it's clear we are losing people who were strong, responsible, forward-thinking, and in control of their emotions. It's okay to be emotional at times, but in the public sphere, as part of being a political leader, I think that's a sign of weakness. Bob Dole died this past week at the hearty age of 98. This is a man who was a World War II hero who was disabled had to carry a pen around with him for fear that someone might cause him pain if they inadvertently shook his injured hand. He didn't complain about his status, though, didn't whine, and as a leader in the Senate, would compromise for the greater good. There aren't many men left like that in politics. I count President Biden in that category, though there are times as president he has been defensive and borderline whiny as we saw in his explanation of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But Biden said something important and something you don't hear much anymore. Quote, I take responsibility for what happened. How often do you hear a president say that? You never heard the previous president utter those words. Bob Dole died just days after it was discovered Trump knew he tested positive for coronavirus before the debate, but callously endangered hundreds of people anyway. And when he came down with a life-threatening case of COVID, audaciously claimed that Gold Star families gave it to him when it was the other way around. This is part of a broader problem of so-called men becoming whiny simps. Woe is me is the prevailing sentiment. Kyle Rittenhouse wept on the witness stand, yet many treat him as a hero. Brett Kavanaugh cried his way through his confirmation hearing, and so-called tough guys applauded him. Whatever happened to strong and silent? That's what I was brought up with. My father was too. 
and his father and so on. In a generation, the whole paradigm shifted and not for the better. The January 6th rioters are upset because they have been imprisoned after their insurrection failed, not because of what they did. They shot their best shot and will answer for that. But instead, they call themselves political prisoners and get their enablers on the right to popularize that term. Andrew Cuomo resigned from office to avoid likely impeachment, but is whining about how he has been persecuted, is going after those he claimed wronged him, and seems to show no remorse for the sexcapades he performed in office. The Crumblies in Michigan are mad because they got caught as fugitives, not because of their schizophrenic son getting a gun from them to shoot up a high school. Real men take responsibility, not deflect and whine about it. In a social media culture that applauds narcissists, I guess this isn't too surprising. And this trend has been going on way before Trump. Perhaps when the focus in life has become expressing yourself at all times, no matter how you express yourself, it was inevitable that whining, complaining, and griping becomes dominant. One could also argue that the John Wayne or Gary Cooper types were repressing their emotions inordinately, and that's not what men should do. Well, perhaps a middle ground is necessary, but no one is going to tell me that the crying, deflecting, whining, and shrugging off responsibility is masculine or the right way for a man to be. I wish we can get back to men being the responsible leaders we used to have and not wallowing in braggadocio and self-pity. We need a nation of grown-ups again, and half the country, that is, the men, need to step up and do their part. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and is produced by Colin Martin. Congratulations, Colin. I'm very proud of you, and we all love you very much. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide. We will see you next time, and be well. Thank you.